Psycho Steve presents. Hey guys and girls, this is Psycho Steve on Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. I have the legendary, incredible drummer extraordinaire on the phone with me today, Mr. Sandy Gennaro. So, good day, sir. Good morning. How are you, Steven? I'm very good for my age. Thank you, Sandy, for joining us. Awesome. So, awesome. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, everybody knows you from being the drummer of multi-multi-bands, so... I just thought we'd just jump right into it and ask you quite a few questions, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, for example, were you always a drummer? Did you always want to be a drummer? or? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, it, it was kind of a thing where it was like, it was just like built into me. I, I have pictures that my mother gave me when I was three years old beneath the Christmas tree playing with a, a toy drum that I had gotten for Christmas that I didn't let out of my sight for a number of years. And, uh, and I was always banging on the kitchen table and, or, or the dashboard of the car with music playing on the radio or a butter knife at the dinner table playing like a swing thing with the, a swing ride pattern with the butter knife. And, nice. And, and then when I was 14, my mom finally got me a drum set. Uh, uh, New Year's Eve in 1965, uh, we went into Manhattan and bought a brand new drum set, and that was the beginning of it. Right, right on. There in 1965, yeah. Nice. What kind of kit was it? It was a Rogers, a Rogers kit. Right on. The white pearl Rogers kit, and uh, my mother, bless her heart, she saved the receipt, and I, I'm looking at the receipt. It's framed on my office wall. That's awesome. How much did it cost, if you don't mind me asking? It was, it was uh, $383. Wow. That's a lot of money and back the, then. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot for back then. And it was, uh, it was a bass drum, a rack tom, and a snare drum, and a floor tom. Right. And two cymbals, a hi-hat stand, a seat, <laughs> and then two cymbals and with their stands. It was awesome. That is awesome. You don't still have it, do you? I have the snare drum. That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. So, speaking of your mother, uh, any family members, musicians besides you? No. Oh, oh okay. I'm cool. the only one. Gotcha. All right. Uh, besides drums, do you play any other instruments? Um, not, not to speak of. I mean, I know from memory how to play one or two or three songs on the bass. Cool. Uh, but I, I really don't know, um, you know, I, I don't know how to play another instrument. No, but I, I was in a band early on, uh, a cover band, like a high school band early on and that we thought it would be very cool to switch instruments. Like when we played a set at a high school or something, right. during the set we would all we would all switch instruments. I would play bass, the bass player would play drums, the guitar player would play keyboards, awesome. whatever. And so we did that on like two or three songs. I played bass on two or three songs. And so I memorized the part. I was shown what to play and that that's what I played. I didn't know basically what I was playing or music theory or any of that, I, I, you know. But I, I, I love playing bass, I really liked it. Nice. 
Here's a crazy question. Have you ever been starstruck? Like you were in a room uh, with someone and you're like, oh, wow, look, it's Bob Hope or someone? Uh, I don't really get starstruck. Right. But the only, if you were a member of the Beatles, I would be starstruck. I was starstruck uh, meeting Ringo. I was starstruck holding John Lennon's guitar. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I my sister treated... George Harrison when he was when he was suffering from cancer at a hospital in Staten Island. Wow. Um, so I, I I have the only Beatle I actually met was Ringo, and um, but that I, I I was starstruck. And when I saw Paul McCartney play live on Saturday Night Live, I was at the studio then. Uh, I was starstruck, and I actually I actually was uh, brought to tears when I wow. when I heard McCartney sing some Beatles songs in person. It was awesome. That is? Wow. Hmm. But yeah, if it's not if it's not for a Beatle or or let's say George Martin, if I were to meet him while he was alive, I would be definitely starstruck. Um, but I always tell my students, you know, nobody to use kind of a vile language, nobody craps Hagendas. Everybody <laughs> goes to the everybody goes to the bathroom. Right on. So you know, and and that's the lesson I give to my students when how should I act in an audition when you know uh, like let's say if I'm auditioning for Lenny Kravitz and he walks in the room like how should I deal with that and I, I just say listen just picture him wiping his butt <laughs> and then the starstruck goes away. <laughs> okay, so you heard that? I am going to tell that I'm a single dad of two little monsters, a nine year old and a six year old, and I'm going to tell them that that you know. Uncle Sandy said this, so <laughs> that's and if awesome. You want to be specific about it? It's nobody craps Rocky Road hot dogs. Right on. Okay. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Sorry for being so vile. Oh no. Oh no no. This is awesome. This is this is great. All right. So you spoke highly about the Beatles. So I guess this answers the question: If you can play with anyone, dead or alive. Who and why? It would be it would be the Beatles, uh, but I would want to play alongside Ringo. Okay. I would I would uh, I would just love to be in Paul's band today, or if you say Dead or Alive, to to do one song with the Beatles intact would be just a dream come true. Right on. I don't blame you. I got to see. It's not Beatles, but I, my first concert, uh, I got to see Beatlemania. My mom took oh, okay. me and my older brother. I was like four or five years old. Of course, you know, I started crying because we were right upstage and it was really loud and everything. And then like a year and a half, two years later, I go see Kiss at the Palladium and I had no problem. And like, 19, you know, <laughs> right. And I tell my kids, if the music's too loud, you're too old. So that's correct. And, that's you know, correct. they're like, what? I'm like, exactly. <laughs> Right. So, right. all right. And you said you got uh, got to hold John Lennon's guitar. Was it his electric or an acoustic? It was. Uh, it was uh, his black and white Rickenbacker, the iconic Rickenbacker. Where I went, a friend of mine played on the Double Fantasy record. I went to the record plant to visit him while he was recording that record. Uh, John and Yoko were not in the studio at the time, but uh, we were listening to some of the rough mixes of that record because uh, a friend, as I said, Earl Slick is a friend of mine. He played oh, wow. guitar on that record, yeah. and and uh, we went into the studio and all the the gear with the was still in the process during that time of still recording some overdubs and stuff like that. So 
the gear was set up and what, what, we walked into the studio itself. We were hanging in the control room listening to the tracks, but then Slick and I went into the control room uh, into the studio itself and I saw John's Rickenbacker on a stand and I, I picked it up and I held it. I, I didn't play it or anything, but I just held it and I just stared at it hanging over my shoulder for, you know, what seemed like a really long time and it must have been about 15, 20 seconds. Right. And and when I when I took the guitar off, Slick said, look at the back of it and it had the Beatles set list scotch tape to the back of the, of John's guitar and hmm. uh, I remember seeing that guitar, seeing, I don't know, it must have been hundreds of pictures of him playing that guitar at Shea Stadium, him playing that guitar on, uh, on uh, Ed Sullivan. Um, I'm looking at a picture in my office wall uh, of the Beatles and he has that guitar on. So wow. I didn't meet John. I was supposed to, he was supposed to be at that listening uh, session, but uh, him and Yoko had to leave the studio unexpectedly. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that's as close as I got to meeting John Lennon. And if I had to pick a favorite Beatle, it would have to be John. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. That's still, I'm sure you felt the energy come off that guitar, too. Absolutely, man. Yeah, you know, my mind was just racing up. Thinking all, think of all the, the, you know, the photos I've seen of that, and the videos, and, and uh, all the songs that were written on that guitar, and you know, yeah, and it, it was just, oh, it was awesome. It was uh, a brush with greatness. Yeah, I wonder where that guitar is now. It's probably in like a Hard Rock or the Smithsonian, or maybe even the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame. You know, uh, I'm not sure where it is now, but. Um, I'm not sure where it is. Maybe Yoko has it. It might be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's probably worth boot two bucks, too, I would assume. Yes, you know? absolutely. Cool. All right. Uh, so do you have a favorite song? Uh, well, it, it's uh, two songs come to mind. One is Imagine. Okay. Uh, and one by John, written by John. Uh, and one, the other one is In My Life, which was a Beatles track, but it was written by John and sang by John. It was right. a Beatles song. I think it's either on Rubber Soul or, uh, cool. or Revolver or right, whatever. And that's the song that's going to be played on 10 at my funeral. Wow. Okay. In my, in my life. It's in my will. Wow. Okay. Uh, how about a favorite song that you've ever recorded, played out, or contributed writing to? Uh, a song by uh, that I played on and became a hit single. It was called Into the Night. Oh, by, by Benny Mardones. Benny Mardones, yeah. Yes. Awesome. I played on that song, and it's, it's, you know, I get the most compliments on my playing in regards to that song, and, um, and it became a hit single uh, in 1980. Right. And it became a top 10 single again in 1990. Right, brilliant song. So, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, what a voice that man has, or had, Absolutely. I should say. Okay, all right. Uh, now, we know you're from New York and everything, right. and Italian heritage. Is it gravy? Right. Is it sauce? Or is it ragu? It's not ragu, forget it. Okay. Anything you buy at the market is not gravy, and it is gravy. Okay. It's gravy. Because, like I said, I've asked a lot of friends, other musicians, and 
stuff like that, uh, that are Italian heritage and everything. And uh, some tell me it's gravy. Some people tell me it's sauce. And then one told me it was ragu. I'm like, ragu isn't it pasta sauce that you can buy at like ShopRite or something? He's like, I used to call it this. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then, you know. I wasn't sure your take on it, so I'm taking a poll. Well, here. I, I, I don't want to know who it was, but anybody, any Italian that says ragu is 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 the, is, the, is the terminology for what the red gravy is that put you put on spaghetti. Right. I would question. I would I would ask to see his uh, his birth certificate. <laughs> okay. Do you speak Italian? No, I don't. Okay. Any languages fluently besides English, of course. Uh, I know I, a little bit of French I learned in high school and a tiny bit of Spanish that I learned in college, but uh, right that's about it. My, I, my my grandparents were born in Sicily mm-hmm. on both sides of my family, and um, uh, my, my mother spoke 100% Italian to her mother, and uh, but always taught us English. She never she never taught us Italian, and I used to communicate with my grandmother with sign language, but she didn't really speak that much English. She spoke a little broken English, but uh, a lot of it was sign language. So, um, and I, you know, a word here, a word there, a slang word here or there, or whatever. But I, I can't carry on a conversation in Italian. Awesome. That's cool that you know sign though. I taught my sons when they were you know infants and stuff like that because you know children at that age can't speak. So I just taught them a couple right. of hand work, hand gestures, so they could communicate with me if they were hungry, if they needed help, if they wanted right. more stuff like that. Right, so, absolutely. Right on. All right. So now that you're a Nashville transplant, how long have you been in Nashville? We moved here in January of 2014. Cool. Now, so are you getting used to saying y'all or you're still a New Yorker through and through? I'll be a New Yorker till the day I die. Awesome answer. Okay. But I'm not, that's not to say that I, I really, I really, really love Nashville. I love the lifestyle here. I, there are many, many opportunities to play. Right. Um, a lot of, a lot of my friends are here, a lot of my friends that are not musicians, a lot of my musician friends are both here. Um, a long, long time friends have moved here. So it's a great musical community here. And, um, uh, I really like the lifestyle. I love the place where I live, the actual neighborhood. The you know, it's awesome. I really like the weather. is uh, The weather is is kind of a a less drastic version of New York weather. I mean, you, we still have seasons, right. but they're not. We don't get like weeks at a time where it's in the teens in the winter time and snow stays on the ground for weeks and weeks. Uh, we don't have. It. I, I use my snow shovel. I think once since I've lived here in three years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's really cool. I like it. Nice. All right. Yeah. Hey, here's a question since you're a New Yorker. Yankees or Mets? Oh, for sure, Yankees. Excellent 100%. answer. Okay. See, now you've gone up another notch in my belt. So, awesome. 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 <laughs> I have two favorite teams. Yankee fan for all, all my life. Yeah, me too. You know, that's my girlfriend's only flaw. She's from New Hampshire, so she likes the Red Sox. I tell my kids and everything, and my kids are like, why do you date her? I'm like, hi, you've seen what she looks like. You see how she treats you. And the only flaw she has is she's a Red Sox fan. They're like, okay. Now that you live in Nashville, what kind of car do you drive? I drive a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Cool. 
right on. So what's in yeah, your... I've had, it, I've had it for a pretty long time. It's a 2002, okay. uh, but it's only got it's only got like 110,000 miles on it, and it's got the seats that fold down, a trolley drum set in there, and nice. landscaping stuff, mulch, soil. It just carries everything. It's awesome. Nice. I like it. So what's in the CD player right now? What's in the CD player? Um, yeah. I don't think I I don't think there's anything in my CD player right now, but I'm I'm about to burn. Um, I'm doing a gig. Um, I did a gig. I should say I did a gig with BB uh, Buell last weekend in New York. So that that has been played in my CD player quite often because I had to learn. Well, not learn, but I recorded the record. Right. But we played some gigs, so I had to refresh my uh, my knowledge of the song so that was the most recent CD that was in my player wow awesome now what's going in there is a Raylan Nelson CD which I'm going out tomorrow uh, doing three gigs with her and she happens to be Willie Nelson's granddaughter awesome I was and just about her, to ask her material yeah, her material is like a cross between Dolly Parton and the Ramones wow it's real it's really rocking it's like country tinged but it's loud and brash and wide open nice so that that's going to be what I'm I'm going to re- be rehearsing that stuff today so I'm going to be listening to that CD quite often right on alright speaking of musicians do you still talk to any of your um, former bandmates from like Kraft or Blackjack um Craft, no, but I, I think I'm in touch with one or two of the guys uh, on Facebook okay um Blackjack, um, I'm mostly in touch with Bruce Julick because right. we've done we've done some uh, fantasy camps together, and um, uh, we're, we're in touch all the time. Awesome, and Bruce. Awesome. Gotcha. So no, we've gotten in but, touch with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I try to stay in touch with as many people as I possibly can. I mean, I really like the fact. I really love the fact that you know, after all these years, where you still can be in touch with people that you know you knew in the '60s and the '70s and stuff. It was, I, I like doing that. I, I, I try to maintain contact with, with all my buds. Yeah, well, the Blackjack stuff was definitely, you know, incredible. Because you think about who's in that band besides yourself, and now look where they are. You're like, right. wow. You know? Um, yeah, well, I think uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Haslip and I are friends on Facebook, and we correspond, but I haven't spoken to him in quite a long time. Gotcha. And I think he's still he's still based in Los Angeles. So is Bruce, I think. Nice. All right. Yeah. Um, you've played with Cindy Lauper. You've played with Joan Jett. Now, what did you like? As far as in, were you hired by the label or because those girls are New Yorkers? Did they say, "Hey, let's get Sandy," and then they called you, or did their management call you? How's it work? Because you were, you know, besides Kraft and Blackjack. You've been in, like, the Monkees. You were in all these other bands. How does that happen? Do you get the opportunity by just... Because you're an amazing profession, and you get called, or just friends tell them about you, and you, you know, try out? How's it work? Well, there's no really one way how one gets a gig. It's like... You know, it's like the first one is the hardest to get, but then, you, you know, the way to get gigs is to, is to play with people. Right. So, yeah, the first one is like a credit card. The first one is like, okay, you want a MasterCard? Okay, what, what, what other cards have you had? In other words, it, it, you have to prove yourself. So, 
you have to go ahead and just keep playing with different people. And when you play with people, then, you know, you, you start having your resume and you start meeting different musicians. Even if it's you meet musicians and the band, the first band you're with goes nowhere, you're still playing with other people. And those other people might be connected to a famous band down the line. And so the, the fact that what I tell my students, how do I get gigs, how do I get great gigs? Just keep playing with as many people as possible. And you create a network of friends and fellow players, and then you start referring each other as time goes on and other players getting involved with other projects. Oh, I remember this drummer I played with two years ago, a real nice guy, blah, 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 but he would be perfect for this. And, and you get a call for that. So as far as Cindy goes, um, no, the label was never involved. Um, uh, I, I was hired for Cindy Lauper by her manager at the time, David Wolf. Right. Uh, now, when I was on tour with Cindy after I got that gig, Joan and her manager Kenny Laguna were in the audience on one of those gigs, and she had you know a visual and reference of what I did. And then years later, you know, and then again during that time, I would go to the China Club in New York and play every Wednesday night with a bunch of other musicians, musicians, you know, that played with Billy Squire or whatever. Um, so you get one gig and then that leads to another gig and then that leads to another gig and that leads to another gig. You know, cool. it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, there's no real one formula that you follow to get gigs. Okay. The, the one thing that I would suggest is just to play with as many people as possible. Try to accommodate as many people as possible. If you if they need a favor for you to play or fill in for somebody, do it. Because they will remember that favor years years down the line. That's basically what led to, to my getting the monkey gig was that I did a friend a favor by showing he was the MD of an oldies act. And he asked me to fill in for a drummer that bailed on him, and it was a three days notice, and there was no, not a lot of money. I had to bring my drums. I had to drive two hours. Uh, but I did the guy a favor, and he was referred by a mutual friend. I didn't even know him personally. And I went and did the gig, and the, 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 the guy that asked me to do the gig happened to be the, the MD of this oldies act, and he was the, the bass player. Right. And we got along really, really well. About three months later, he called me and he goes, listen, I'm the MD now for the Monkees, and I'd like you to come down and, uh, and do this gig. So there I was. Uh, doing a reunion tour with the monkeys and I ended up doing every single reunion tour just about every reunion tour from 1987 until uh, Davey died in 2012 oh, wow. so you know me doing a favor for a person led to a gig that had years and years of uh, of involvement. Like, you know, I used to go out, I, it was a long time, and then Davey did it, all, all, between monkey tours, Davey Jones did his solo tours, right. uh, solo gigs, you know, with casinos and whatever. Right. And I used to do those too. And then eventually, Mickey Dolan's did his solo uh, shows in between monkey tours, and I ended up doing those. So if I didn't, you know, it's just the little things that matter in your life. You know, don't overlook any opportunity to play. Yeah. Just go ahead and play. Now, you, if it's only playing that one night or having fun that one night, well, that's awesome. Right. But that may lead to other stuff. So there's no real downside 
uh, instead of getting off your lazy ass and going to, going to play. Right. There's no downside to that. You're playing your instrument. You're playing your instrument. You're playing music with other people on a stage or in a rehearsal or whatever. So go and do it. You never know what happens. You never, ever know. You cannot predict the future in this business. You can't. Very true. I told my cousin, he actually took a lesson from you when he went to the Drummers Collective in New York. And I, I, told, I told him the same thing. Uh, I'm like, no, good, no gig is a bad gig. No matter what, you're still playing your craft and you're in front of people, no matter if it's one person or a thousand or 15,000 people. If you're playing the garden, you're playing, you know, a barbecue, you're still doing something that brings you pleasure and probably brings other people pleasure. You know, I don't never know. And you don't, you don't do it for this reason. You do it for the reason you just said, right? But the the byproduct benefit is that you never know who you're going to be who's going to be in that audience absolutely you never know who's going to be with you on that stage you never know who the other players are or or somebody in the audience maybe they're related to somebody and then a week after that gig they hear about oh my drummer left oh i saw a drummer last week or i played with a drummer last week that's awesome or i should give him a call people whatever so you never ever know it's like the more people you play with and the more people you meet it's like the roots of a tree it just keeps branching out and branching out and the longer that you're in this business and doing it the roots of that tree become quite extensive absolutely you know, so you might you, you you know you might be you might play with somebody two years ago uh have played with somebody two years ago and get a call saying hey and this happens to me I'm not going to say often, but it happens to me frequently where, oh, Sandy, I met you and blah, blah, blah. I saw you play, blah, blah, blah. You know, do you want to do this gig? You know, whatever. So it, it, you just just go ahead and play with as many people as possible and don't be lazy about it. And, you know, even if you have the belief in yourself that, that you're going to make it as a, as a drummer or whatever instrument you play, but you have to go out and play. The, the phone ain't going to ring and say, okay, it's your time to be a rock star come you know come whatever you've got to go out and, and spread the word that you're available and what you're about it's it's a business like any other business and if people don't get to try the product they're not going to buy the product right and I also tell my cousin for example um, if he ever became because one of his I, I don't know if it was a student of his, or like a um, fellow student but he also uh, I know his first name is I think Sean he also plays drums for uh, the Saturday Night Live band. He also played oh, with Sean Taylor. Yeah, and he also played with Paul McCartney. And I told him, I was like, uh, my cousin's name is Dan. And I told him, I'm like, ask him to be his drum uh, tech. And he's like, why? He's like, that. Why? I'm like, okay. Drummers get sick. You'll know his drum parts and his drum kit better than probably him because of the way you are with your drum playing. And if say he gets sick one night and you're doing his drum tech, guess what? And he's playing with Paul McCartney. How many people can say they got to play drums with Paul McCartney? You know? Right. So. Right, absolutely. But you have to be careful with that. I mean, yes, you're right. And I was in a position, I was with this Pat Travers band. Right. Uh, the first time I was with Pat was in the early 80s. Right. And I had, I had a while on tour, um, while we were on tour, I broke my collarbone in a, in a snowmobile accident. Ouch. And 
I, I had to come off the tour and my drum tech actually was a drummer and he just so not to interrupt any dates of the tour he filled in for me wow and so yeah you're right that could happen but the, the caveat to that situation is that is a very 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 rare situation where the drum tech gets the gig or gets to play the gig right and a more common situation where drummers become drum techs and because it doesn't happen very often that they replace the drummer that they're teching for they they then they're they're a drum tech on that tour and then they're they're asked oh you're a great drum tech you want to be a drum tech on this tour and then they become the label around their neck becomes drum tech. Ah. Because, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's so rare. If I become a drum tech for, you know, whoever, uh, whoever, Sean Pelton or, you know, Abel Boreal, who's uh, Paul McCartney's everyday drummer, you know, chances are I am not going to get to play with Paul McCartney. Chances are that if something happens to Abe, they'll work around it or get somebody referred by Abe, uh, okay. a pro guy, a right. pro guy to fill in. Or if he's off the road, maybe something will happen to Abe when they're off the road, which leaves you out of the picture anyway. So the chances of something happening to a drummer are slim right. to disable him from doing a gig, and and the chances of happening uh, something happened to a drummer to disable him while on the road are even slimmer. Right. Um, and then the chances of him happening something happening to a drummer while on the road, and another pro being brought in as a, and then you're the drum drum tech for the replacement guy. Right. Got it. You know, so it's it's not out of the question, and you didn't give your nephew or your cousin bad advice. Right. It's just highly, highly unlikely. It's more likely that you'll be labeled as a drum tech that plays drums, not a drummer that's a drum tech. Got it. All right, makes sense. Different. All right. Um, now you said you played with Pat Travis, you played with Cindy, you played with Joan, you played with Bruce Kulick. Um, I heard, I don't know how true this is, you played with Ace Frehley? Um, not, not on a, uh, an official level, but right. I, 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 I got a call in the 90s, right. uh, when Ace lived in Connecticut, I got a call from Anton Fig. Anton Fig is a very close friend of Ace Frehley. Right. And he used to go up to, he used to go up to, Anton used to go up to Ace's house and just, play like just go ahead and play and jam yeah and uh, Ace, Ace used to record all you know like the two hour jam or whatever and, and use it to pick some parts out for a write or whatever so I, I get this call one day from Anton going hey Sandy are you available to go up to Ace's house he just wants to play and jam for some songwriting songwriting ideas whatever just go up and play he's got a drum set there and um, up to his house in Connecticut so I played on a, on a, you know on that day it was like a three hour kind of play it was it was awesome nice. and the bass player ironically the bass player in that band was John Reagan now this is an example of what I was talking about before right this was in the 90s okay so I go up to Ace's house no money as a favor to really, to, as a favor to Anton, basically, to fill in for him, right. I wanted to do it because I'm, now I'm going to go play with Ace Freely. It's awesome. Right. And so I meet this guy, John Reagan, and we, and we had, and so based on that favor I did for Anton, I not only became, and I'm still friends with Ace today, I, did, I never played. 
played in his band officially, okay. and I never did any gigs with him, but every time we run into each other on the road, we're always great friends or whatever. Um, but John Reagan, the bass player in that band, who went on to play with Frampton and, and right. all these people, he called me, and he's coming into Nashville to showcase. He's, he's playing with a guy, um, let me see, um, I forget his name. He's playing with an artist, and I'm going to be doing a showcase with this artist on John Reagan's recommendation. So there, there's an example of something, a, a favor that I did for somebody in the 90s came back, and I'm reaping the benefits of that in 2018. That's incredible. Yeah. Right on. All right. So now, what's next for you? Um, because you're no longer teaching at the Drummer Collective. Do you teach down there or via Skype? What can we promote, and how can people find you? Things and opportunities are placed in front of you. 
try to figure out how can I, how can a musician stay in the music business going on 53 years? Again, I got my first drum set in New Year's Eve, 1965. So no, this New Year's Eve of 2018, it would be 53 years I'm playing the drums for a living. Awesome. And how does, how does one do that? Right. And so I came up with this acronym called BEATS, and it's those attributes that you have to apply to everybody and everything you do in your life, and, uh, and th magic things will happen. Awesome. So th that's basically, and I welcome, you know, if anybody out there listening to this wants to email me or Facebook message me or, you know, ask me a question or whatever, you can go through MeHook or you don't even have to go through MeHook. You can just email me right and, um, uh, and I will accommodate you with my response. Wow. So you guys and girls and everything in between heard it here first about MeHook and how the real deal Mr. Gennaro is about, you know, not just a great drummer, but a great inspiration to me and many other people that are going to hear this show. So I also wanted to say thank you very much for taking the time today. I know you're quite busy um, to, you know, chew the fat with me and get to know you a little bit more and see how approachable you are because look at all the great people you have played with and continue to play. With, and you still have your hair, so I'm jealous. Uh, <laughs> I do have my hair. I do have my hair. And like I said, everybody, check out Sandy Gennaro's website, sandygennaro.com, Meat Hook, all those great websites. Thank you so much, and God bless, and good luck in Nashville. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate your time and, uh, and the opportunity. Well, take care, Sandy. Have a good week. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Psycho Steve presents... <laughs> Steve every Wednesday and Friday here on